Welcome to the Wisdom of Madness with Rasuli and Jesh Darox. Two friends from different worlds discuss the beauty and mystery of creativity. Let's look at what body is. It is really a container for the content to be in it, and the content is divine, but the body is temporary. Obviously, it's very important to maintain the body. If I have a broken glass, I cannot fill it with wine. If I have a dirty glass, my wine is not going to taste good. If I have a glass that has the smell of something in it, and I put the wine in it, it just doesn't feel the right thing. Physical being finite, physical being limited, physical being temporary, as you say. You know, even a word like physical versus spiritual, I think is important to break down in a practical sense. And I think it's easy to just say spiritual and not really exactly know what we're talking about, or physical and not really know. But I think one very clear practical distinction is that physical has to do with temporary, spiritual has to do with eternal, something that is beyond time. Uh, the other thing that's, I think, a practical difference is that physical has to do with what can be measured, also what can be divided, what can be cut apart, you know, and spiritual has to do with what cannot be divided and what cannot be measured, the finite versus the infinite. How does a person become a saint, which is basically, or a mystic, as you say, which is basically this rare, beautiful mix of a physical container, surely, who was a person and who lived and who laughed and cried and all that, and yet also, for all the moments that they had that were like everybody else, they also had some moments that were very unusual, in which their mouth and their body and their mind and their eyes became vehicles and tools, instruments of expression for something not of this world, not temporary. Their messages still ring today as clearly as they did when they first spoke, will continue to ring throughout the rest of time. So I think we could kind of go about exploring this question that was raised in the kind of metaphoric story of how does a person become a saint? What, what is that process? What does it look like? What are the pitfalls along the way? What are the invitations along the way? Well, let's go back to the last week's discussions when we were talking about how Rumi begins his famous Masnavi book with the reed flute. If there is a reed and it plays music, there is definitely a pfeiffer that is blowing this in. Mm. Whatever that pfeiffer is in whatever mm. form or shape or Entity or anything, whatever it is. Yeah. You could call it energy, whatever you want to call it. But mm. there is a pfeiffer. Yes. Is master in plain flute, which means that knows the air is going to go in what ratio to what area and how to adjust it, how to put a damper in front of it, how to release it. All of these is basically mastered by the Pfeiffer. So to question why is this like that or why is like the other thing is to question the capability of the master. Mm. If you believe in God, you have to accept 
that whole thing. So if the glass is broken, I've got to deal with it. I can prevent it from getting broken or getting messy. But if I'm having a glass that is messy mm -hmm. or broken, I got to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So we become creative. This is how God created us in his own image. Because now become creative in dealing with the challenge yes. that we have with us. So the body is to give us the challenges. Mm -hmm. The body is to be something that we have to serve it dearly. Well, it's so fascinating that this is what's coming up right now because I was this morning, as I said, you know, speaking with a, a close friend um, about some of these subjects. And I think I was talking about, you know, the story of God as we tell the story, which I think it's super important to remember that this is a story about God. It cannot by the very definition of what a story is, encompass the fullness. And I think it's one of the biggest human errors that we have is that we assume that our thoughts, as thin as they are, could hold anything as massive as something that's infinite, you know? They can hold pieces, perhaps, you know, but they certainly can't encompass the entire thing. And I was speaking about how this story that we have about God, which is certainly told from a human perspective, is that there was all of this nothingness, there was all this darkness, there was all this blackness, and then God spoke into the darkness and into the blackness and said, let there be light. And that was the creative moment of impetus where all of that started changing. And I think what's really beautiful to recognize about that whole story is that the story isn't everything was light, and then God said, let there still be light. <laughs> you know? There was darkness. And so my friend who was going through a hard time this morning, I said, are you in darkness? Perfect. So was God. That's how this whole thing started, you know? And so the whole metaphor of God coming to this universe, you know, seeing this darkness unfolding out in front of God, you know, and then says, this is perfect. This is the perfect place to begin. This is the perfect place to start playing and changing and working. And to me, a very valid, practical way to see the entire creation story is one of this metaphoric relationship that what God is to the universe, what God is as the creative impulse to this darkness to bring it to light, to be God-like, to be Christian, to be in the image of God, which many of the religions suggest we are and should be, is to be sent as a tiny god into the darkness and the blackness of my own human body and to say, let there be light, and to speak into existence, you know, all of this dark matter into beauty and into glory and to have life burst out of it in all directions. To me, that is the deepest honoring of the story of God in the first place. And I think a lot of the times people are here in their body, you know, and they're thinking, well, I'll praise God outside of here and I'll do this nice thing for this person over here. And that may all be well and fine, but if you're not doing the prime, deep, truest, original duty, which was you being sent to this world of your body, to the world of your cells, to the darkness of them, and going through that process of transforming the darkness into the light, then I think you're missing out on really the whole journey of, of what the whole message of spirituality and all of the religions were really pointing to in the first place. The moment you put some kind of a definition to God, you've already missed it. 
the moment you put a definition that God does this or God does that, mm. you take you 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 freeze this vast concept, infinite concept, into a form. Right. But this is only a form. Only a form. This whole God who's done all of these things. Right. Scientifically, religious, whatever, right. it's still only, only Slice. <laughs> a molecule yeah. of infinite, infinite molecules infinite. of existence. Yeah. So when we talk about God, we talk about really what we feel <laughs> that it is my God. And we get into fight with each other oh, because God. my God is different from your God. Yeah. Not knowing that this is the whole idea. Yeah. The whole idea of God is yes. to be different. Yes. That whole oneness, the beauty of that oneness, mm. it's the variety of it. It's yes. the differences in it. Yeah. This is what makes it life. Absolutely. And we get entangled with a form, which is the same way as we get entangled with the body. Mm-hmm. We think that this form is it. Can I have a glass? A glass of what? I just want to have a glass. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to have a glass. Well, there's this thing Jesus said. He said, you can believe a lie and you can become damned. You know, and let's take away the the dark, shameful, burning in hell version of damned. And let's just talk about damned as in water that gets damned and stuck, you know. And I think it's interesting because when you believe a lie, when you get trapped in an illusion the energy of you gets stuck within inside of that form, you know? And Jesus himself was quite adamantly, quite strongly, you know, warned against the dangers of, of forms. He, you know, he said, the letter of the law can kill you. It's the spirit of the law that gives the life, you know? It, the letter can kill. And what is the letter? It's the definition. It's the form. It's the exactitude of it. And those things are meant in the same way that, you know, the ground beneath your f- foot is meant. It holds you for a second, but its purpose is to create a friction so you can leave it. You know, and when people just stand on top of the word, even if it's so-called holy word, and they just stand there <laughs> still, and well, God said this one time, well, here I am, God said it. It's like, no, this was for you to move. This was for you to, to go forward. And Paul said something quite astonishing and quite actually controversial. He said, you know, leaving the foundations and principles of Christ, we have to go on to perfection. And there's so many people who are like, no, 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 no. Jesus said this this one time, we got to do this. And Paul's like, yeah, guys, he said that. And he also said, you know, there's so many things I wanted to tell you. There's so many things I wanted to talk to you about, but you couldn't even handle the things that I tried to tell you. And so what about all of the rest? You know, what about all the rest? And I think to me, that is the deep privilege and the power and the beauty and the invitation that every human born has. It's like, yes, let's look at what happened. Let's look at it. And the stuff that's interesting to us, let's consume. But what about the rest? What about the rest of the infinite God that hasn't been seen yet, that hasn't been talked about, that hasn't been found yet? Who's going to do that? Not somebody way off in the future. You. That's why you're here. You're here to see the rest. And of course, you'll never fit the whole rest, but you'll get glimpses and pieces and it's your job to, to say them, to write them, to hold them in your body, to dance them, to sing them, to say them. That's the purpose of the body, is to do that. All of these are found in the darkness. It's true that we see them in the light, 
but because we don't see them in the mystery. Yes. And there's so many things in there that we don't even notice that they're there. Yes. Those so many things that we don't notice is what the mystics notice. Exactly. And that's what they get excited to see things yes. that they have not experienced yeah. before, not what they have. Again, it goes back to these two different ways to experience darkness, because classically in a lot of our you know, traditions, darkness is almost exactly associated with evil, because evil could be somewhere out there. And so when we have this connotation that, oh, be careful, you know, that's the darkness. But the other side of that is to call that same darkness the mystery. You know? And if you call it the mystery, that's exciting. And if you call it evil, it's terrifying. You know? And it's like, which of those two things you decide the darkness is, is basically what defines your life. That's the work of brain, because the moment you call it evil, exactly. that means that you put it against a virtuous <laughs> thing. Yes. So you already have taken it yes. into rational thinking, right. which is not the purpose. Yeah. A mystic journeys within, not without. Mm. There's a story from Attar that I love. There's this man who is in search of the truth. He's looking for God, and he cannot find God anywhere. So he decides that God is not in this town. i got to go out of town to find God. He goes and says goodbye to everybody in town that he knew, and they ask him where he's going. He says, I'm going to find God. And they say, that's great. If you find God, would you bring a piece of God for us as well? They would give him something for his journey. So he's got this money or tools or... So he's got this backpack filled with everything that people have given him. And he figures, when I find God, I put God in my backpack and I bring God back. So he leaves town. As he's going away, about three miles that he walks away from the gate of town, he sees this little stick next to the road that he's going, which is about a yard tall, and it's on the tip of it there's some green sprouts. In there. And he looks at that, and he laughs, and he says, how sad to be next to a road and not being able to move, mm. having all the possibilities, mm. but not being able to utilize it. Plant hears that, and it says, but it's painful to look for something and not find it. And the man says to the stick, what do you know about quest? The whole joy of life is to go after something. You're stuck in this mud, you cannot move. You cannot benefit from the joy of looking for something. And he moves on and he goes looking for God everywhere, every town, every place. He finds no sign of God anywhere. <laughs> And his backpack is empty now, his money is all spent, there's nothing left and cannot find God. So he decides to return home. About three miles before he gets to his town, he sees this tall tree next to the road with all kinds of fruit and shade and freshness and all that. He picks some fruit from the tree and... and uh, and he sits in the shade and leans against the trunk of the tree and, and he's enjoying that feeling. The tree says, 
Oh, traveler, what do you have in that backpack? Would you share some with me? And the traveler says, I'm ashamed to say I have nothing in this backpack. It's empty. See? And he opens it. It's empty. And the tree said, I know. You don't recognize me, but I recognize you. There was a little stick next to the, to the path. And I saw you going there with your big ego on the backpack. And you could not find God. I'm going to give you some God. So when you go back home, you'll have some God to share with others. And suddenly the backpack feels the energy of divine in it. And the traveler is surprised and looks at the tree and says, all this time that I looked for God everywhere that I went, I couldn't find God. How did you find God in here stuck in this mud? And the tree says, you see, you look for God outside yourself. You kept on losing everything that you had. Mm. Every step that you took, you lost some of your belongings in search of God. But I looked for God inside myself, and every moment I became stronger, more powerful, more fresh, and I expanded more and more and became fruitful because I looked for God inside myself. Now, that tree is a saint. That tree is a mystic. And that traveler is us. We're just in search of something that we never find because we're looking for it outside of ourselves. And that's probably, that story is probably what really guided me in my life. Because every time I look at a plant and I see this story is so true. This plant, it gets better and stronger. So we need the mystics to guide us. Let me ask you a question. So let's say there's two men, okay, and they're both architects, and they both spend all day working at the same job and the same architect job, one office right next to the other. One of them is on the path to becoming a mystic, and one of them is not. How does their day look differently? Like what kinds of things are they doing differently? What are they thinking about? What are they seeing differently? Like in some kind of practical form like that. The one who is not a mystic is doing everything for his own sake. I'm working so I can make money. I'm eating so I can be, you know, healthy. I'm seeing this person because then I have this thing. It just goes on. Everything is for me. Everything is for me constantly. The other person is trying to see how can I benefit others from the capability that I have? How can I design this building in a way that more people would enjoy? While the first one is saying, how can I design this building that I can make good money out of it? Or I become a successful person or however you want to look at it. This other being, the mystic, is looking into how can I spread the seed? How can I expand things? How can I, just like you and I, as right now, we are talking to each other, but for what purpose? Not because we're making money out of it, not because we're getting any kind of a physical satisfaction out mm -hmm. of it. We are in here because we want to spread a seed 
that we feel that there's a possibility that would help some people. I would add something, though, that I think is a really important additional thing to clarify to someone who doesn't understand as innately as you do, having lived the life that you have, which is there are a lot of people in the world who give literally almost all of their hours and time to things outside of themselves and think that they're on the path to quote-unquote God or goodness or whatever because they're doing that. But I think, from my experience, there's this strange loop that can happen and I've experienced it myself, wanting to give to other people and trying to give to other people to help them. And it seemed like a good thing. But when I really boiled it down, I was actually in a state of illusion because I was giving it to them. So then they would look back at me and say, oh, wow, Josh, you're great. You did this or that the world would do that. And I think that's one of the deepest traps in the whole religion thing is because People have this idea and this label that they're doing something for God or for good, but they're missing the internal part of that journey. And so this thing that you said, it could come across as a little bit of a, a dichotomy because you're saying, yeah, you have to take the inner journey. That's the way to become a mystic. But then I was like, well, what's a practical version of that? And you're like, give to other people outside of you. And that is both true and they're both kind of opposites but they're opposites in the way that a circle is full circle there's two halves and so just the piece that i think is really important is that you're not talking about giving to other people because you think that they think that you think that they think that they need something you're listening to this inner voice to this inner song to this inner pole that knows that as you go into that and as you follow that flow and that pole that you know, life increases and abounds and expands and interconnects to all of these people and beings around you who you'll never even meet. But it's your joy to be in service to that, to be in flow to that. And, but that, that sound, that song, that voice isn't heard externally. It's heard internally. The tree does exact same thing as you just described. Yes. The tree is given shade, yep. is given fruit, is given oxygen, yeah. is given refreshment, it's given seed, it's given life. Yes. But the tree is not so proud of it right. or ashamed of it. The tree right. is just treeing. Exactly. It's, it's honoring that message that's inside its own DNA, you know. It's paying attention to the ingredients. It's in this in a dance with the elements around it. It's in relation to the light. It's in relation to the wind. It's a very internal journey that it has. Almost solo, you could even say. Yeah. And yet without trying. We have Jesus and we have Christ. Mm. Same way as we have the body mm. and the spirit. Mm. Jesus is only a fraction of what Christ is. Yes, so true. See, we take Jesus as the Christ mm. and we freeze it just right wow. there. Yes. But if you realize Jesus is only an individual who was Christing. Yes, <laughs> Christing, exactly. <laughs> what if the whole idea of being a Christ is a concept that we all need to become yes. or be the Jesuses of a type of our own. Yes, absolutely. So there is absolute infinite numbers of Jesus yes. in the concept of yeah. Christ, which is Christ is Horaisht, which is the, the light of the sun. It's the sunlight. Mm. 
Christ is the light of the sun, but it's not the sun. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, too, about this whole idea, of, for instance, of Christian. And, you know, we're using this metaphor, but a lot of the religions have a similar theme. And this whole idea is you're supposed to be like this person. You're supposed to be, you know, like this symbol. You're supposed to become more like that. And I think if people take that literally, which many people do, and it gets them into trouble of all kinds, um, one of the first things, you know, that would be completely devastating to people who take it literally if they really just looked at it is the fact that they weren't born in a manger. Because if you weren't born in a manger, you're screwed because you're never going to be exactly like Jesus was, you know? And so to me, the message isn't don't do the exact same things that he did. Don't live the exact same life that he did. Because guess what? That's already been there and done. We don't need to go back and retrace those same footsteps, you know? He even said, greater works will you do than I have done. And that's a bold statement, you know, that is <laughs> still kind of out there on the table as far as I'm concerned. Hasn't been picked up many times, if at all. And you could also say greater in the sense that he already did this, and now theoretically we should be able to do the next. And then someone else comes and does the next, and the next, and the next. So I think a valid description of something like Christian could be maybe you don't do the things that Jesus did, and maybe you're not the same kind of person that he was, but maybe you're just as much yourself. You're just as true to your calling. You're just as true to your path as he was true to his. And I think as he lived into his destiny and he fulfilled his destiny, you know, he even said at the end, like, it is finished, which is a really powerful thing to be able to say at the end of your, your journey, you know, to say, it's done. I, I did it. I did what I came here to do, you know, and again, if we go back to this metaphor of each of us are kind of like this mini God, this mini ruler, this mini creator sent into the dark matter of our body it's going to look different for each of us, you know, what needs to be created. I wouldn't want 8 billion worlds all looking exactly the same. And, and clearly God, big God, doesn't either because all of the worlds are different. But here on this world, with this material, with these elements, with this dark matter, with these challenges, what kind of beauty do you create? And I think it's in that variety, you know, it's, it's in the possibilities of that where we each get to express God, which is infinite creativity, you know? And so this whole idea that we have of it, it needs to look like this and watch out for this and be careful of this, that can really get us into a whole lot of problems because we start becoming art critics instead of creators, you mm -hmm. know? And so you have a whole world of people calling themselves, you know, Christians or, or Muslims or, or, or whatever that are supposed to be representing this creator, but none of them are creators. I'm not saying none of them are, but a lot of these people, you know, can slip into these modes where they're not in a creative mode. And how can an art critic ever truly represent a creative. Only a creative could really express another creative in the deepest sense. Well, see, we freeze it as we make it a religion because then we separate it from the others. Yes. So it becomes a clan. Yeah. And there's another clan, another clan. Tribalism. Exactly. All we need is to recognize that yes. we all... All of us are supposed to be yes, here. Yes, all of us. We need more, we need infinite numbers yes. of religions. Yes. Every individual yeah. needs to have an individual belief yeah. system yes. and have that power from within. Yes. We got we to zero in in that direction. I want to go back to the idea of how much we rely on the skin rather than get into the spirit. Because we just, it's so easy for us to 
to form Jesus with a beard and red hair and have everything in this format, because it's easy to connect with. Mm. But let's go into the spirit of Christ. Yes. Let's go into yes. that energy, in that power, yes. that he was a symbol of it. He yes. was just, why do we stick to this type of stuff? Yeah. When you see the people with intelligence, not just ordinary people, yeah. are so much so deep into it, yeah. then you realize that there is a power that arranges these the way they're supposed to be. Mm. So who am I to tell somebody that you're wrong in whatever you're doing? <laughs> Unless the master plan guides me through my heart to do it. Mm. But if I say this is the law, this is the yes. justice, this yes. is the morality, this is whatever I say because it's all intellectual, yes. it's not my business. It reminds me of um, when Jesus died, you know, in, in the story, Jesus dies, his body is buried in this tomb. And you've got Mary, you know, Magdalene, who's like outside of, of the tomb and she's there, she's in travail, she's praying. And this angel appears to her and says, what are, what are you doing? Why are you here? And she's like, well, you know, Jesus died and I'm here. And she's like, oh, he's gone. You know, he's gone. He's not here. And I think that's kind of in some ways to me a metaphor for a lot of the religion. It's just like you got the, you got the dead body of the vehicle that carried it to here and everybody's around the dead body, you know, and like, well, his hair was this long and he had these many, you know, this dirt on his fingers and he did this and this. And it's like, well, but Jesus, the Christ, you know, the power, that's gone because... The power could never have been limited by any certain form. People, I think, put way too much stock in the actual events of what happened during his life and make each one as if that was the only way it ever could have been. And I do not buy that for a second. I think he could have come back a million different times and every life would have been completely different than the other one based on the different influences and things that happened. I even think, as as you know, controversial as it would seem, that he didn't even have to die on the cross in that way. And I don't think that he thought that either. Because before, the night before, here's Jesus, you know, obviously very wise and touch person. He's saying, I, I don't really want this to happen, you know. If it would be your will, please let this cut pass for me. Nevertheless, let thy will be done, you know, not mine. And someone can say, well, that clearly says then that God wanted it to happen because that's what happened. But I would make the argument that God gave us free moral agency. God gave us the choice. And what God wanted, what the will of God was, quote unquote, you know, was for people to make their own decision. And it was the people that decided to crucify him. That's what happened. So I think he made a powerful decision based on the shitty circumstances that happened to him. But I don't think that's the only way that it could have gone. And I think when people get so, you know, stuck in a limited zone, uh, the problem with that is that it, it limits your vision. And there's a lot of other things you don't see. Like... Any idea, as we're saying, any story is always only ever going to be a fraction. It could never represent the totality. And so I have this metaphor sometimes that I, I, I talk about when you're talking about a story or an idea. It's like a dime. It's this tiny little thing. But if you hold a dime straight in front of your eye, it's literally the only thing that you can see. It blocks off not just a little bit of the universe. It blocks off the entire rest of the universe. And I think a lot of times our own ideas about God, about ourselves, about what we're here doing, are like these little dimes that we're just looking at so closely, we can't see anything else.
So going back to this idea, you know, of the body and what is its purpose? How do we know if we're using it, you know, for a spiritual purpose or how do we know if we're using it for, you know, a physical purpose? And going back to this idea of how does one become a saint? How does one become a mystic? One thing that is kind of in common with those kind of people is that they're often drawn or painted with halos around them. And I think that's a really interesting thing. Like, what does that halo represent? Because it came from a lot of different cultures. It wasn't just one culture that came up with this idea of the halo. You know, from a lot of them, these, these deities, these, these mystical people, these apostles and saints, they often had this light glowing off of them. And I think that's an interesting kind of issue. And so in real life, if there's light, if there's light coming off of something, you know, there's either light that's in here that's emanating from them, or there's a bright light source out here that's bouncing off of them. Well, that's why I'm so drawn to the iconic paintings. When you look at those paintings, the light is from within in these saints. So they don't cast shadow over each other. Mm. The light is only inside them. Right. It's not outside. They really recognize, they knew the spirit is within. Mm. The icon paintings are only a line and the colors. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's only skin to allow the light to shine through from within. That, I think, is, is the really important piece. And so at the end of the day, we've got a mystic or a saint or whoever. And the main difference with them between a quote-unquote regular person is that for some reason, there's a light that's coming through through them. You know, somewhere in there it says... You know, the light that lights up every person who comes into the world. It's like we, we have that light in there. I think that's in John somewhere. But we all have the light. It's just that some of us are showing it and some of us aren't, you know, to varying degrees. And so what is that process? And for me, what I, what I think is really interesting is coming back to this metaphor of, you know, the God coming into this dark area. And then when you come into this dark area, you basically have two choices, you know. You could look at this dark area and you could go back to the original you know, creation story as told from the Bible and you could tell it differently. Maybe God did something different one day. And what I think can be helpful on a practical level is that we have the same decision that God had in the story. You know, you walk up to a situation, you might not like certain things about your body, you might not like certain things about your life or your parents or your work or your job. And we have the same choice that God had in that moment. We could say, <laughs> darkness was covering the face of all of my friends. <laughs> darkness was covering the face of my life experience. And we could say, well, screw this, I don't want this. But that's not the decision that God made in the story. In the decision, he says, perfect, this is a great place to start the transformation. And I think for me, that's the practical difference. That's how you become a saint. That's how you become a mystic, is you start to recognize that everything around you is beautiful. It's either going to be beautiful or it already is beautiful. It's what I would call early stage beauty. Darkness is early stage beauty because that's the perfect raw material to end up creating light. It's very scary for a lot of people because we want the boundaries, we want the hard lines, we want to be able to say this is that and this is this because it makes us to feel safe. You know, and I think another form of that darkness is the unknown. You know, and that's another aspect I think of this story that's interesting to look at. The mystics, you know, the saints, they're willing to go into the darkness. They're willing to spend time in the unknown, you know, until the unknown transforms into the known. If you truly believe that there is infinite things in the darkness, 
that we don't see, that whole journey into darkness becomes a journey of Christopher Columbus. It becomes a journey of discovery. Yes. We begin to see things in a very, very exciting way. And we just keep on going deep. And that is how it, we are led into our own inner self. Yes. Because the answer is right there. Yes. The pearl is deep inside this oyster. Yes, and I think that's, that's a great way to say what I think is kind of the essentialization to me of what we're talking about, which is that at the end of the day, the difference between a mystic and a regular person is the way that they decide to see what's in front of them. I think that really is like the essentialization of it because you can look at all of this and you can say, no, it's ugly. No, it's scary. No, it's, you know, not something I want a part of. Or you can look at all of it and you can feel that thrill and that joy like you're talking about. And to me, that is the defining characteristic of the, of the mystic, you know, that favorite story that I heard last year was, you know, Rumi telling the story of this great sheikh. And somebody asks him, how do you define Sufism? What is, what does it mean to be a Sufi? And he says, great joy in sudden disappointment. And for me, that's just so powerful. It's so mind-blowing because that is the difference between a mystic and everybody else. You know, somebody's tire pops and they're late for the appointment and they can't make the birthday party anymore. And most people are just like, oh God, how could this happen? You know, start swearing and this always happens to me, blah, blah. And the mystic rejoices and says, how beautiful that the tire popped and what an incredible sound that it made as it popped. And now I'm at the side of this road that I never would have been at. And look at this pebble that was down here. And, and this was the perfect pebble for me to find today. When I start painting, I have no idea what I'm going to be painting. So I begin with just doing something on the canvas. That's doing something on the canvas makes a connection with my physical eyes and I get physically connected with the canvas. Now I'm into the complete physical form. I pick the right amount of turpentine. I take the right colors that I want, the right brushes. Everything is right for the moment that I am in at that point. As I'm doing this, I slowly get into painting which is the process of connecting with the inner self to be a mystic. You begin with the physical thing, but at some point the body should be satisfied, but the greed takes over. I have this, but I want it this way. I have this, but I want to have these jewels on it. I have this, but we, the greed takes over. If the greed takes over, you're out of the line of being a mystic. But if you are already blended into the connection with your soul, which has happens when I'm painting, I'm blended into my canvas. Now I don't recognize the canvas for myself anymore. I think it's really important to just designate that there are no absolutes on any of these words. There are no absolute definitions. That's why this is a hard thing to talk about. That's why we're talking about it. It's because it is a hard thing. And we want to, if we can, break open some aspects at least, give some people some kind of a mirror to look into deeper. But I think one, one thing that's standing out as you're talking is that it keeps being emphasized 
you have to look inside, you know, you have to look within. Jesus is like, the kingdom of God is inside you. It's like all of the spiritual practices and religions basically keep telling us that. And they've said it in a million ways, and yet we're still very confused by this. So clearly, it's a hard thing to understand. And let's just go ahead and just lay that out very clearly. This is hard. That's that's the hard piece of it. It, it is an illusion. That's why, you know, the Hindu call it Maya. It, it, it's an illusion. The whole thing is a trick, you know, in a certain kind of a way. But I think a part of the trick is that our eyes are pointed outside of ourselves. They're literally pointed in the opposite direction of us. And I read one time that it was estimated as much as 90% of the information that's in the brain from which we comprise our stories of the world and ourself and what the word soul means and what God means and all of that, 90% of what's in the brain as information was originally visual information. And that's really crazy when you think about that, that most of how we see the world and ourself has to do with visual information, and yet our eyes, the little beautiful capturers of all this information, <laughs> will never even see your own face. Yeah, and there's another danger that comes along this way too, because as you see something, you begin to perceive it, but you would only perceive what is recognizable to you, Yes, which is what is already in that Yes. Container. Yes. That's why the role of the mystery is so important. And that's why the role of the explorer is so important. Because what you're talking about there, I, I would talk about as reference. There's a way to experience the world, and then there's a way to reference the world. And most children are constantly in a state of experience, which means that they're exploring and learning and taking in new information. Whereas most older children and adults are constantly in a state of reference. And they're just noticing, oh, this is like that, and this is like that other thing, and this should be like that. And that's an important system. It has value to it, but it's completely rooted in the past. It's completely rooted in the known. And as long as people are anchored in the known, it's literally this closed circuit that you can never get out of. And that's why, you know, we start slamming on the doors and we start hating things. We get so angry and we're frustrated because some piece of us knows, yes, the past was the past, but the past was for us to step on and move beyond. You know, and when people get static and stuck, that's really where a lot of the problems start, you know. And in this world of reference, it's like hard to remember that we created all of this or some human did. And we're just stuck inside of this thing that we've created. And there seems to be no no way way out of it, you know. And I think that's, that's this trouble that, that we're in. That's that deep frustration, you know, that we have. And the only way out a lot of times looks like the dark edge of the forest. You know, people are like, oh, no, 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 you can't go out in that way. And it's like, no, that is the way out. The darkness is the way out. The unknown is the way out. Because if you already had the way out, you, you wouldn't be stuck. You wouldn't be frustrated, you know? And so that means that the way out is not in the known. It's nowhere in the known. Because if you, if you still need a way out, you don't have it yet. It's not in the known. And so that means... If you, you need to go towards the unknown, towards the mystery. And I think that's what the mystics did. That's what the saints did is they literally just realized finally, okay, it's nowhere in here. It's nowhere in the past. It's nowhere in any of the things anybody has told me. So it must be out there, you know? And they, they dive into that, full body dive into that unknown. And I think for us to conclude this session, we can bring it into where do we begin where do we start? My recommendation is to do what I practiced 
first, maybe for a few days, begin to be aware of who is that is seen through your eyes, or what is that is seen through your eyes, not just the way that you've been seen before. As you look at things, see what is that energy that is seen through you. Then you begin to hear what is that energy that hears in your ears. As we begin to feel that, we start connecting with the inner self. And that slowly becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. And as we develop that habit, we begin to have completely a different way of seeing things. I would add on to that. That piece I was saying about the eyes and the importance of recognizing that our eyes are pointed in the opposite direction is directly related to what you're saying because it's hard to see yourself. And, and that's really what, what the chief original work is, is awareness. You have to begin by developing an awareness of what yourself is. And I love that suggestion you gave. And another version of that that I would suggest is write down everything you know about yourself on a page, every single thing you know about yourself. Write your main stories, the things that you think have been formative to you. Look at all of that, accept all of that, and then know your freedom is nowhere on that page. Because if your freedom was there, you probably wouldn't even be listening to this right now. You would be off in some zone, you know, completely free. And so we keep resorting back to the same stories about ourselves. We keep diving through the same things that we know, like a person who's endlessly shuffling through a junk drawer. Where's that thing? I know it was here somewhere. I know it was here somewhere. At a certain point, you just got to go, it's not in the junk drawer. It's just not here, which means your freedom is somewhere out there. It's in a thing you don't know about yourself. It's, it's, in a, it's in a thought you haven't had yet. It's an experience. And the most important thing is not try to protect anything. Just let it go. That's hard, but that is literally the first step. That is. The Wisdom of Madness is produced by Rasuli, Jesh Durox, and Elizabeth Joy Windham. Our theme music is by Nicholas Poshberg. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this podcast, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and community. 